0: I welcome you today, welcome you to uh, this summer Bible study that we're in called Blueprint. And it's actually a study of the book of the Bible, 1 Timothy, where the Apostle Paul is giving a young man, Timothy, a blueprint for how the church structure should look. Uh, It's kind of ironic today, because we're not talking about church structure as in a building. But he's talking church structure as in how the people should interact, how this should look. So, um, before we go any further, just speaking of structure, um, obviously, this has been a fun morning. This has been a fun morning. When, when, when we first came in this morning, uh, there were white caps on the stage here. There were white caps. I'm, I'm not exaggerating too much. It was just uh, all water, solid water. So, nothing has power up here. And so the fact that we just got to sing a couple of songs is because some people just really kicked it into gear and got creative and figured out how to run some other power and boards and sound. And I'm grateful for their effort this morning just so that we could at least sing um, a little bit together today. I'm also going to say, if you're watching uh, online with us, I'm going to do my best. Uh, We had to move cameras and all that kind of stuff, trying to get sound, trying to make it work. And the last instruction I got was, don't move. (laughs) Seriously? Who you're talking to, don't move? So, I'm going to do my best. That's all I got, all right? I'm going to do my best. If I'm talking and I disappear, I'll be back, all right? I'll be back. I'll, I'll do my best. When uh, we think about every week, ways to get into our our Bible study, our talk, uh, sometimes for me, I think about, I wanna give you a story. I wanna give you a question. I wanna give you an object. I wanna give you an application. Something to spark your interest for what we are about to study. Well, today, I'm not gonna use any of that. Today, I'm just gonna read the text to you because I think the text itself will be enough today. Let me show you what I mean. We've arrived at 1 Timothy chapter two, 1 Timothy chapter two, verse eight. Therefore, Paul says, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Told you. Interested? Anybody already angry, right? What I love... About uh, what I'm gonna call challenging passages like this one is it really does provide a great opportunity for us to consider how important and yet how difficult sometimes interpreting the Bible can be understanding it so for us to be good students of this passage this is a great opportunity for us to either learn for some of you cuz you've never you've never heard what I'm about to give you or for some of you to be reminded of just some great principles of interpretation, right? Today, since this is already kind of just a just a blown up day, we do it this is totally different than kind of feels like how everything normally runs. I want to challenge you today to do something that most of you don't normally do. Take some notes. Can we just totally shake it up and get crazy today? Take some notes. In, in your worship guide, there's a piece of paper. There's a blank piece of paper. You, if you've got a pen around you, maybe somebody will loan you one. I don't even mind if you use your phone. Come on, at least I'll think you're taking notes and not texting other people while I'm talking. All right? Use your phone. You've got a tablet, whatever. Take some notes today because I'm going to give you some principles for interpretation that go far beyond what today is going to help us for every time you pick up the Bible. For example, first word is harmony. Harmony when we are interpreting scripture we got to think harmony and when I say harmony here's what I mean The teaching of any scripture must be in harmony with the teaching of every scripture Right now we know that in music. There's this concept called harmony right you, you, it happens when you play uh, two or more notes together Honestly, I, I had actually toyed with actually demonstrating that for you this morning, and I was actually going to play a chord on the keyboard and then maybe play one, and, and, and no, we're not going to do that today, all right? But, but the point is, when you, when you hear it, you know, no, that doesn't fit. I could do that very quickly for you, right? No, that, that's, that doesn't belong. That, that doesn't go there. That's not in harmony. Well, the same is true with the Bible. Before I start teaching one thing from one scripture, I must be sure that it's in harmony with all scripture. Another way to say it is each scripture in light of all scripture. So what we just read, verses 8 to 15, doesn't appear in isolation. It's connected to what's already happened in chapter 2. It's been a couple of weeks since we studied it. It's connected to what happens in chapter 3, which will be hopefully next week, right? If, if the stage is not baptismo again, right? So, so it'll be connected to chapter 3. Um, it's also, though, connected to the harmony of every teaching in Scripture. Second word, not just harmony, but history history. And here's what I mean by history. It cannot mean to us what it did not mean to them. It can't. Every once in a while, I'll hear somebody say something like, oh, I just love the Bible. I I love scripture because it just spans time. And, And I love the fact that somebody can read a text and it can mean one thing to them and somebody else can read that text and it can mean something totally different to them. No. No, it does not. It cannot mean to us what it did not mean to them. Now, you may read a text and part of that really stand out to you because of your situation. And and part of that text may really stand out to someone else, but it's not going to mean different things. So when we talk history, we're saying there were things that happened in that day In that culture that unless we factor them into the conversation we may live leave with some wrong conclusions true story what I'm about to tell you is a true story I ain't lying a couple weeks ago a friend of mine walked into a coffee shop as he walks through the door of the coffee shop there was a guy staring right at him shouting don't do that that's not a suppository. I ain't lying. Now I think I would have probably just turned and walked back out. True story, but here's a few clues. The guy who said that in the coffee shop was wearing a white lab coat, which means most likely pharmacist and on his ear Bluetooth Oh Bluetooth so even though his eyes were directed at my friend his words were not directed at my friend Now, doesn't that change the game yeah and I'm sorry but I just can't get over the fact that some poor dudes walking around with his meds in the wrong place right That's just a part of the story that I don't know how to avoid. The point is, I don't know what else to do with that. That's just, that's just, the point is if you only know one side of the conversation, it's really difficult to understand the whole conversation. So you gotta know history, the historical, the cultural context, as well as the scriptural context because good interpretation means it cannot mean to us today what it did not mean to that original audience in that day. Here's the third word, humility. Humility, and here's why this word is important. The Bible is perfect, but my interpretation may not be. The Bible's perfect. It is God's revelation about himself to us. I, I cannot n- know Jesus fully apart from it. But I may still arrive at some imperfect conclusions at times because I'm not perfect. Therefore, I am choosing to stand in my convictions, but I'm going to do it with humility and stay willing to admit when I've been wrong. The text that we're studying today, I can provide you with a long list of books and a long list of articles of some trustworthy people who have done their homework on it. But what's crazy is they all have a little different take at times. That's because we all come to the text with a different lens through which we see it. And as hard as we try, none of us is entirely unbiased. So just to make sure you get it, Here's the principles all together. Harmony, history, and humility. And I'm telling you, you don't need that just for today. Every time you open your Bible, this is a part of how we study. This is a part of how we understand it. I realize that a text like today, um, it, it really can upset some people. But but I'm gonna be honest with you. When I, when I stand with a text like today, there is really just one person that I ultimately do not want to upset. Because there's ultimately one that I have to give an account to for how I interpreted and how I pastored his church through this text, and that's Jesus. Every, every week before I come out here, one of the things I pray is, Lord, let me fear you more than I fear anybody else. I pray that almost every week it's a part of what i pray lord let me fear you more than i fear anybody else today is one of those days where i want to make sure that that's the case verse eight therefore paul says i want the men everywhere to pray lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing now remember it's been a couple of weeks been a couple of weeks because 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 we did the baptism thing last week but where we left off Paul's saying first things first he's calling the church to pray pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people and the reason why because Jesus came for all and so now he's clarifying how they should pray he's going to go straight to character and he starts with the men now when we tend to read this verse the part that we tend to highlight is lifting hands we tend to, we, when people read this verse, they tend to immediately go to the lifting of hands. I don't think that's where the hearts of the Ephesian church first went. And the reason I don't think that was the case is because I think that's just something they naturally did all the time. The idea of lifting hands, of praising Him, we, we do it when we, when we right, go to the ball game. We do it when we shout for stuff that we want to celebrate. It's just a natural part of how you praise. But the real focus of what I think Paul is saying here is, if you don't get your anger in check, then you understand that your prayer's not being heard. You say, well, is that really what it says? Well, that's consistent with what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter three. He tells us in the context of, of husbands and wives, he says men, If you're unwilling to live in an understanding way with your wife, God is not listening to your prayers. They're not being heard. And so there's this harmony several places in the Bible where, where God says, do you understand? I'm serious about this. You know how you go in the restaurants and hopefully somewhere, you know, in there, there's a little sign that says employees must wash their hands. Right? You you see those signs and you're thinking, do they? Right? That's what you're always, do they? Well, that's kind, of, that's kind of the image that I have when I read what Paul says in verse 8. He's saying, he's saying, gentlemen, don't bother preparing the food of prayer for God without first washing your dirty hands. You got anger against somebody. You, you, you're quarreling against somebody. You confess it to God. You make it right. You wash your hands so that your prayers will be heard. Jesus says a similar thing in Matthew chapter 5. He says you're at the altar offering a gift and you remember suddenly what? You got a problem with your brother. What do you do? Go deal with the problem with your brother, be reconciled, and then you come back to the altar and offer your gift. Prayer before God is artificial when there is not peace with others. So here's a couple of questions. Is there any deliberate sin that you're holding on to? Do you have bitterness With a brother or sister. And if so, God's clear instruction here is get that taken care of. God takes this serious. Okay? Verse 9. We haven't even got to the good stuff yet, right? Verse 9. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves. Not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. I think a key word for us is when he says, I also want, uh, it could be translated the word likewise. In in other words, that's connecting this this same thought. He, He just said, men, this is how I want you to pray. This is how I want you to worship. Well, likewise. He's going to talk to the ladies now. It's a follow-up word to them. And again, I don't think the point of the passage... The big point is not hairstyle. It's not gold. It's not pearls. I I don't think I get to turn TV evangelist today and say, Hey, we're going to pass the baskets. Give me all your gold. No, I, I think... Paul's actually getting to an issue of cultural status. He's going deeper than clothing and jewelry. He's going to the ladies' character just like he went to the men's character. Apparently, there were some wealthy women in the church at Ephesus who had begun to treat the worship services like a fashion show. And they would show up there in expensive clothing expensive jewelry the point was to to flaunt their wealth if you would a sign of of status in order to in order to get people to see them and again what's Paul saying here I I think he's saying look when, when you pray the eyes of the people should be on who Jesus not on you When he uses the word modestly, it's a word with sexual overtones. He's saying, don't dress in a way that you walk in. And there's this tendency that you make make everybody go to you. No, he's saying their their eyes should be on him. This is a church that's in Ephesus. the the temple of Artemis was there. I told you about this when we went through the seven churches and, and the temple prostitution. I mean, sexuality was just a big, big problem in this city, and was they would connect it to worship. And I think Paul's saying here, you know, you you want your hearts to be right in all this. Again, the point wasn't that their hair was you know braided or fixed a certain way. It, it, It wasn't the jewelry in and of itself. It wasn't about lifted hands. He was pointing to something else. This is our takeaway, I believe. When we worship God, it must be from a heart that points to Jesus. He's saying, men, women, when we worship God, it must be from a heart that points to Jesus. It's about him. Francis Chan tells a story every once in a while about somebody who visited his church. And after visiting his church on a given Sunday, their response was, I don't know if I'll be back. I didn't really like the worship today. To which Mr. Chan responded, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you anyway. Good response. That's so our culture. In our culture, people leave church every Sunday ready to evaluate everything from the singing to the greeting to the preaching. And we kind of see church like this restaurant where we feel entitled to tear it to shreds with a Yelp review. And Paul's just reminding them, no, this is about Jesus. This is about Jesus. The church is the bride of Christ. The one he shed his blood for. And even if you don't love her Jesus does and he died to prove it so when we pray when we worship when we worship God it must be from a heart that points to Jesus and that leads Paul to some specific roles here we go verse 11 a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. <gasps> right? Can we can we do a group gasp? All right, I'm going to read it, and then we'll just do a group gasp. You ready? A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. <gasps> good, 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 good. <laughs> now, I think it is likely that the Ephesian church gasped also. It's just I don't think they gasped for the same reason that we would gasp. So you gotta realize that this this is written in a culture and a time where a lot of of the circumstances were that women were not even permitted to learn. The reason they were not permitted to learn is that they were not permitted to teach. And and in that culture, there was no reason to learn if you weren't gonna teach. And so when Paul says, let them learn, there was a, they can learn? The women can learn? Paul's so countercultural here, but we miss it with our twenty-first century eyes. I mean, this is a radically progressive idea, and it is the Bible, it is God's word that is pushing it. I think I wonder sometimes if we don't miss part of that whole story and significance of of, of remember Mary and Martha? And that whole story when they're when they're encountering Jesus and one of them's in the in the kitchen and busy everywhere, and, and Mary is where? Sitting at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says what, what Mary has chosen is better. Well, in a first century rabbinic culture, they didn't typically sit in a classroom, right? Uh, the way it worked is they would sit at the feet of a teacher. They would sit at the feet of a rabbi. But in that day, rabbis were men. And typically, all the disciples were men. Women were not allowed to often learn because they would not be allowed to teach. And so here's both Jesus and Paul when when we see them interact in Scripture in, in a culture where women are told over and over, you cannot. But they're both showing that you can. You can learn because you can teach. I hope you always understand that the Bible isn't trying to take power away from women, ever. I don't know anything that has been a greater blessing, a greater authority, a greater change maker in allowing women to be their full selves as God has created you to be than the Bible. Who was the first to know about the birth of Jesus? Mary. Woman. Who was the first to confirm it? Elizabeth. (laughs) Woman. Who was the first to to preach this news of Jesus' arrival to the the Jews in the temple? It was Anna. Anna. The prophetess, right? Who, who was the first to proclaim this news to the Gentiles? I, I would submit that it was a Samaritan woman that Jesus encountered at a at a well in Samaria one day. Who, who was the first to see the risen Christ? It was Mary Magdalene. And she was then sent by Jesus to go tell the other disciples. I'm saying when you look throughout Scripture... You don't see the Bible taking significance away from women, but empowering you to be your full selves, as God has created you and set you apart to be. But in Ephesus, 1 and 2 Timothy will show us, and we'll get it when when we, when we continue with this study, it verifies that there were some women in Ephesus who were undercutting God's doctrine, they were undercutting godly behavior, and they were undercutting godly leadership in the church. And so just like Paul got after men in chapter 1 for some false teaching, well, he's getting after the ladies, some of them at least here in chapter 2. He's not picking on you. He's just dealing with the issue. So verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Now, wait a minute. Do, do they or do they not? I mean, is this Paul, what are you saying here? Are you, are you, or is he contradicting himself? Well, in, in order to break this one down, i got to give you a little bit of grammar. I got to give you a little bit of grammar construction that we sometimes see um, at different places in the Bible. And it's kind of a weird word. Some of you probably are are familiar with this. Um, But it is is this word, Hendiades. Hendiades. Hendiades is a grammar construction that connects two or more ideas together to really convey one idea. All right? Now, I'm going to give you an example of it. Very first chapters of the Bible, we see a Hendiades in play. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, right, the the curse of sin, we, we see the effect. Here's how it reads, at least in the translation I have. I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. And all the ladies are like, thanks a lot, right? Thanks a lot. Here's how, if you literally translate what's there, it reads like this. I will greatly multiply your pain and your conception. I will greatly multiply your pain and multiply your conception, all right? What, what translators understand and what the, what the grammar is understood to be, they, they translate. No, the, the curse was what? It was pain. It would be pain in childbearing. That is what was multiplied. Birthing children is gonna hurt bad. That's the point. That's the point. In other words, it's not two ideas. It's one that's put together. Well, there is a similar structure that happens in verse 12 of First Timothy chapter 2. Go back to verse 12 and here's what it says. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. And I'm telling you, I, I think this is a Hindaides in play where you got two, two things that really put together, become they really are one. They really are one. And that one thing is what we're gonna call authoritative teaching. Authoritative teaching. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority. You put that together and it's about authoritative teaching. And in the Bible, there's only one role, there's only one office in the church, if you will, that is given that responsibility of authoritative teaching. It's the office of a pastor, an elder. And in, in, it's interesting to me that when we turn the page to chapter 3, guess what we're going to get the qualifications for? A pastor, an elder. It's exactly what follows. Now you'll, you'll hear more about this when we get to that part. But in short, I got to give it to you today to help us understand that the office of an elder, or the office of a pastor, is the only one that we read in scripture where the qualifications are given, that those two qualities that Paul just said you cannot do, are found. In chapter 3 of 1 Timothy 2, he tells pastors they are to be able to teach. It's it's mentioned there, It's, it's not mentioned in any of the others. In chapter 5, we will see him say, you are to rule or have authority well. He uses those same words. And in the qualifications for an elder or a pastor, we find this role, only certain men who are called can serve in it. Now stay with me. I know, but you got to stay with me. Isn't that, isn't that similar to what we read God say regarding the home? Who does he call to lead in the home? Man. Now don't get me wrong, you know we've had this conversation tons of times. And we've talked about the fact this is, n- this is not about one being more valuable than the other. This is not even talking about one being more qualified than the other. He talks about a mutual submission. We've talked about that, where each of them are putting the other first. This is not something about domineering. This is, this is, but it ultimately comes down to where God says, sometimes somebody's got to lead. And he says, gentlemen, that's on you. That's on you. So leave, and it seems to be a very similar pattern that he gives us here when it comes to the church. Now question, does does exclusion from being a, a pastor, a lead pastor, we would say, does that mean that women are unfit for leadership? And the answer that the Bible portrays to us is absolutely not, no. Does that mean they're unfit for leadership? Absolutely not. He's just talking about this this one role. I want to clarify, I, I don't think this principle applies to a corporate world. Nope, not talking about a corporate world, not talking about military, not talking about political arena. No, he's just applying it to the home and applying it to his church. And remember in 1st and 2nd Timothy, it verifies that there are some women who are undercutting God's doctrine, undercutting godly behavior, undercutting godly leadership in the church. So here's, here's some things that we can walk away from when we read this text. He's saying to the ladies, he's saying to the women there, listen attentively with a teachable spirit to God-given elders. That's what he's saying to those ladies Now listen, I don't believe the Bible says Ladies, when you sh- when you show up at church You should go mute I-, I don't believe that's what it teaches So when he says be quiet here I don't think he's saying show up in church And just go mute Why do I not think that? Because when I read all the rest of scripture You know what I see? Ladies are praying And ladies are prophesying And ladies are teaching they're, they're, He's just saying here I-, I want you to listen attentively With a teachable spirit God-given elders and he says ladies I I want you to submit gladly to a servant leadership of an elder now I'm using the word servant right because that that's what we see you he serves the people by by delivering God's Word how similar is that to, to the same language when he says husbands you are to lead I want you to love your wives like Christ loved the church and what gave his life for it. This is not a domineering thing. This is supposed to be a serving thing. And then I think we grasp from Scripture that that women should lead in various positions in the church under the authority of elder leadership. I I challenge you to, um, if you've never read the story, heard the story of a lady by the name of Elizabeth Elliot. Um, Elizabeth Elliot is the wife of Jim Elliot, who was a, um, a missionary martyred. I can't give you the whole story today, but, but the, the crux of it is that she, after he and some other men were martyred, she and her family went back to the very tribe who took the life of her husband and eventually saw Jesus spread in that tribe. It is a remarkable story. If you've never read it, you should look it up and you should check it out. One day... In a seminary lecture, Elizabeth Elliot announced to her class of both men and women that she had better gifts for being a pastor than most of the men in the class. Possibly the entire seminary. Why? She knew the Bible in multiple languages. That's a short line. She had vast experience in in expositing it. She had the maturity bought through suffering to speak with compassion to other people. And on and on she went. But then she said, however, God has not called me as a woman to exercise those gifts in a pastoral role. I am called to use them though but why should they only be valuable if used in one particular role the ordained ministry in other words here's a lady who's got who's got better pastoral gifts than anybody else in the seminary and what she's saying is though when I read scripture here's what God says here's the role I'm not supposed to take but you know what why do we think that that's the only place that God could use these? And so here she is sitting in the seminary equipping young men and young women for pastoral gifts. I, I, I think she's right because I have known lots of women who seem to have stronger gifts for being a pastor than men that I've seen. And I don't know how else to say this. If it were left up to me I don't think I would hold this view that I hold. I wouldn't. If it were left up to me, I wouldn't hold this view. of It's men who are called to be pastors, all right? I wouldn't. The reason I hold the view, and the reason that Heart of Life holds the view, is because we believe that this is God's word on the issue. And we're not gonna throw out biblical truth to accommodate our culture. We're not. So I would conclude, I think many would conclude from this passage I'm saying, that a woman is created and saved by God to exercise all kinds of spiritual gifts including teaching and leading in every single way that a non-elder pastor male can. And what I'm sure of beyond any doubt is that what Paul's saying doesn't keep women from doing or leading ministry. This is hard in our day. Because everybody wants to say, well, but Jeff, this is a justice issue. This is a justice issue. I hear you. But the thing that we need to follow that up with is who determines justice on issues? Nobody asked that question it's a justice issue but who gets determined justice because if God is king and we are his people wouldn't it make sense that justice is whatever God determines it is on a particular issue the question isn't does this fit my perspective as a 21st century American Christian no the only question that matters is am I willing to humble myself to what God determines as justice I don't get to determine that and you don't get to determine that God is the one who determines that. Say, come on, Jeff. This is just cultural, man. This is a cultural thing. It was just, it was just for that time. It was just for Paul and that situation in Ephesus. No, it's not. And there's a reason that I'm pretty confident that it's not, verse 13. Because Paul steps out of his own culture and he doesn't just talk about our culture he steps all the way back and here's what he says for Adam was formed first then Eve and Adam was not the one deceived it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner now I don't think Paul's saying here that women are weaker and more easily deceived no I think we miss it when we see it that way I think Paul is reminding the Ephesus church and he's reminding us as a church this has been God's design from the beginning. He's saying it's not about the culture just in Ephesus. It's not about the culture today here. He's saying this, this is the design that God has put in play. He calls it good for the home and for his church. Some scholars believe that Paul is also commenta- com- commenting on... Um, a historical reality in Ephesus that there were some women who had been breathing in the cultural air of the day that said that women were given a secret knowledge that only they could teach to the men and many believe that Paul's refuting that by going all the way back to the fall and he's saying if you've got a secret knowledge right guess where that comes from if you, if you look at creation, where, where, where did it come from? It came from an enemy. And he's reminding us that men and women, though equal, we need one another to operate distinctly, to collectively survive. He's saying you need one another. If the women in that day started to think we are the indispensable ones, right? The, the men need us. We don't need them. Paul's coming in to say, no, you actually need each other. This is the way God designed it from the beginning. That together you you, you would be better. That together you would be strong. You actually need the men too. Equal and better together. Equal and better together. God created men and women with equal dignity and equal value. Neither superior nor inferior. To demean a woman is sin against God. To demean a man is sin against God. God created both with complementary roles. And those roles of men and women even reflect the nature of God, right? He shows us there there is the Father, there is the Son who willingly submits to Him, right? There there is no no arguing of the Son for having to submit to the the will of the Father. There there is no domineering in terms of how the Father is... No, you, you see it perfectly displayed, the nature of God. And then we get to verse 15 as if that wasn't enough. And Paul wraps it up this way, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. (laughs) Like, what does that mean? And I guess, in part, the true answer is only God knows exactly what that means, but I'm gonna give you some ideas. What we clearly know it doesn't mean it, 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 this this is not Paul undoing everything he's ever written about salvation being by grace through faith. So what we know this doesn't mean is that if you have a baby, you are saved. That's not what this means. Otherwise, there wouldn't be other places in the scripture where Paul is encouraging them. Sometimes you can be single. It's okay to be single, right? No, he would be saying, you you better get married and get get a baby because this is how you get into heaven, right? That's not what it means. We know that. Why? From the harmony of Scripture. We know that from the whole picture. Women are not saved from the birth of a child. But just like men, they are saved through the death of a Savior. Possibly, possibly what Paul's talking about here is that maybe he's just referring to the fact that salvation will eventually come through Women in the sense of what what God declared in Genesis chapter 3 after the enemy tempted Eve and she sins, they sin, the fall happens but he says there's going to be enmity between your offspring and his. And he says you're going to strike his heel but her offspring is going to crush your head. And maybe that, that's what Paul is, is referring to here. Through, through woman, through that line, eventually a Savior would be born. Maybe that's what he's referring to. Or, or maybe he's talking about in this text the, the, the power of a, of a woman in terms of, of nurturing the home. Because we're dealing with false teachers in Ephesus who are undercutting the home. And he's saying, ladies, you realize you're, you're the only ones that can give birth. We, we, can't, we can't do that deal. And God has created you, you unique. Your responsibilities are uniquely good. Women are sanctified, set apart as they glorify God in distinct roles and responsibilities that he has entrusted to you. God has created you as a woman or He has created you as a man, and there is significance behind how He has created you. It is a message that our world needs to be reminded of, our culture needs to be reminded of, He created you as a woman that is significant. He created you as a man that is significant. So ladies, You are walking out, you are working out your salvation as a woman of God. You are uniquely blessed, you are uniquely formed, you are uniquely gifted for his glory to be made known through you in a way that is distinct from how his glory is being made known through a man. But both beautiful Both wonderful, both unique, both significant. And when we minimize one or the other, a man or a woman, we undercut what it means to be set apart for God. Jesus died to make us the men and the women that God created us to be. You think this was a mess today? When this becomes chaotic, when what we've studied today becomes chaotic in the church and everybody's clamoring for attention for themselves, no, nobody's humble in terms of what it means to lead and love. Man, do you think this is a mess? No, this becomes a mess that affects the ability for God's greatness, for His love, for His peace, for His joy to be seen in a world around us. I'm grateful that a long time ago Not that they had problems in Ephesus, I would never wish that on anybody, but I'm grateful that a long time ago, in a place a long way from here, God spoke on this deal. And it spans all the cultures, He spoke so that we could know, He the authority, this is what justice looks like. Everybody all right? That's different, wasn't it? That's different. Yeah. But every once in a while, God says, I need to show you something. I need to remind you of something. And I want you to trust me on something. I already told you. It's like, I wouldn't have done it this way. (laughs) It's like, I wouldn't have said that. You should be glad that God is God and I'm not. Because in all that I don't understand, the one thing I believe, He is always good. He is always good. He is always perfect. And whatever He puts in play is for your absolute best. Until you can understand it fully, trust Him. Alright? I'm going to pray for us and then we've got a few more things to talk about. God, I'm asking you to help us to to uh, digest what uh, we're trying to take in today. Um, Thanks for an opportunity to be reminded of some principles that we all need. God, some principles that we ought to approach every passage that when we open the Bible and start to read, God, we we don't wanna just make that fit what we want it to be. God, we wanna make sure that we're hearing what you're actually saying. And yet, God, we're doing that with humility today, knowing that there are times that we miss, there are times that we don't fully understand. And so, God, will you, will you always help us as a church that as much as we're going to stand in, in, in the, the harmony factor and the history factor of understanding all those things, God, we want to be a church that demonstrates humility. And we'll admit it when we've been wrong. But, God, I'm asking you to help us on more than this issue that we don't throw out biblical truth just when it doesn't seem to fit our current culture. God, it's only in your word that there is life. It's only in obedience that there is life. So God today, I thank you for helping us with kind of a tough deal. God, is this is one of those that's just kind of tough to to dig into and understand, but God, you can do you do that today. It's by your spirit Thank you for the miracle of your spirit in us that helps us to understand, and I'm asking your blessing on your church. God, I'm asking that men would lead like you call us to lead. God, I got got no doubt there's some stuff in this room, much less, God, people who may be listening online, there's some stuff where men are disobedient. There's some stuff where we are treating our wives, where we are treating our families in a way that does not honor you. God, help us to hear what you have said today. Help us to repent. God, help us to believe. And God, I, I pray for the ladies today. God, where there needs to be repentance, God, that you will bring it. I, I also pray, God, that you would help them to see truly the worth, the value God, the dignity that you declare over them today. God, help us to believe. Help us to trust. Bless your church that your name may be blessed. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.